Good morning, New Hope. It is good to see you. God has brought you here today. You think you got out of bed because your friend brought you, or it's what you normally do. But God wants to say something to you today. Father, as we come before your word, we pray that your spirit would speak to people where they're at and move them forward, Father. Strengthen them, Father, by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Have you ever had a day when things are not going well? I mean, one thing goes not well, then the next, then the next, then the next. Anybody had one of those days? Okay. You just feel like chucking in the towel sometimes. Well, this lady did. Dear Pastor, if I could sum up my life in a single word, it will be conflict. Seems to me I have to fight for everything. Everything is a battle. My kids, my husband, my job, even my walk with the Lord. We struggle with our money. We struggle with our intimate life. We struggle even to understand each other. Plus, I have internal battles and internal fears. I can't seem to stick with stuff even when I know it's the right thing to do. Why is life so tough? Will the battle ever end? I hope so, because sometimes I just feel like walking away from it all. Why is life so tough? I read this week about a number of our colleagues in Nigeria burnt alive. The world's a mess in a lot of ways, but it wasn't always that way. I want to wind the clock back to the beginning, back there. In the beginning, everything was made perfect. Perfect. Because God is an absolute perfect being, An absolute perfect being cannot make anything less than perfect. And therefore, the original creation that God made was perfect. So the conditions were perfect. But one of the perfections, and it is a perfection that God gave us, was free will. And while free will in and of itself is good, free will also makes the choice to choose evil possible. Think about Adam and Eve. What they had was a perfect gift called free will. If they didn't have that, they'd be automatons. They'd be robots. And by the way, you cannot love unless you have a choice to not love. So one of the perfections God gave us was free will. But Adam and Eve, right back there, were tempted to misuse their free will and rebel against God. And so as John Milton so eloquently wrote a 10,000-word poem, effectively called Paradise Lost. And Paradise was lost back there because two people decided they knew better than God. They misused their free will. They decided, and you may have done this too, that I know better than God. If God says no, I say, eh, it doesn't look so bad. 
Maybe you've fallen into that trap. Or, God, I know you say this will make me happy, but I don't quite buy that. I think that will make me happy. And so you pursue that contrary to God's word. And you use your free will and you abuse that free will that God gave you, that gift. Basically what I'm saying is when Adam and Eve started to say, well, we know better than God, that's when all of our problems started way back then. And that's when your problems and my problems start when we say we know better than God. When that happened, sin entered into the world and it's been in the world ever since. And the world has been broken ever since. God actually told them, you go back and read it, if you do that, life will be hard. Life is hard. And since sin is the root of all evil, and it's the root of all the problems in the world. Now, in addition to the fall of man and sin, there's a hidden battle going on, a hidden battle. And the Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about three particular enemies of your soul. The first one is the world around us. That's the, the world around, that's the culture. Everything in our culture tries to tear you down. And one of the ways it does this, listen carefully, is by getting you to compare. It gets you to compare. I haven't got that. Or she doesn't like that. Or my, my man isn't like that. It gets you to compare. That's what advertisers do. They're trying to unsettle you. Because if you are content, it is very difficult to get you to buy stuff. The world around you tells you things like this. You don't count, really, unless you're gorgeous. Unless you're really smart, you don't count. Unless you've got lots of money, honey, you don't count. That's what the world tells you. If you're not athletic, well, you're a wimp. And it tries to pressure you into its mold to buy things you don't even need to please people that you don't necessarily like. What's the logic of that? Keeping up with the Joneses. A vicious, crazy trap. The second enemy of your soul is the flesh. That's the war within you. The war within you. That's the old nature. The battle inside of you. And that's the, the source of this propensity to make the wrong choice. For example, have you ever done things in your life that you knew were self-destructive? That weren't good for you, but you did them anyway. Has anybody done that apart from me? Okay, maybe it's that piece of cake. Extra piece, extra three pieces. <laughs> Whatever it may be. You know it's good to go to the gym, keep your body healthy. Do you do it? No. So we all have these, we know what to do, but sometimes we don't do those things. And sometimes we do things we know we shouldn't. The Bible calls a battle against this, a battle against the old flesh or the old sinful nature. And it's a battle within. So there's a battle without the culture. There's a battle within that is the sin that, and the flesh within us. And then there's another dimension to that. And that's the Bible clearly talks about this, the devil. That's a war that Satan wants to wage against you. Now, the devil and his forces battle against you. Now, let me be clear about this. Slight nuance here. God did not make the devil. Some are going to be shocked at that. No, he made Lucifer. <laughs> Lucifer was a perfect archangel with another, uh, with another perfection called free choice. 
But Lucifer, again, like Adam Eve, misused his free choice to rebel against God and hence becoming the devil. He was created good, but he used his good gift of free will for evil. And so do we sometimes. He's real, but he is not equal to God. I'll tell you one thing for sure. He's the enemy of your soul. And he would like nothing more than to knock you off your perch and to bring you down. So what I want to say in this three part there is that there is a war going on. And that's the root of why everything is a battle. Life is not easy. Life is tough. Now, I want to pick up from the book of Hebrews. If you've got your Bibles, I want to turn them to um, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, the writer of Hebrews has just done, first of all, what's the book of Hebrews chapter 11 generally about? What is it? Faith. Faith. Good. And the first part of that chapter, he talks about all the heroes of faith, the Moseses and the Abrahams and the Davids and the whole lot. He lists a litany of them, and he could have gone on and on. He talks about the triumphs of faith. What happens in the middle of verse 34, though? It moves from triumphs of people of faith to tragedies of people of faith. Many people have never seen that. You see, it's easy to love God when things are going great. Easy peasy. But when life is tough, when the hammer's down, and things are not going the way I think they should be going, that's when real faith shows its colors. See, in this fallen world, everyone experiences a mixture of triumphs and tragedies. Nobody gets a free pass. Like these real heroes of faith, we need to live, learn how to live in faith consistently. When we experience pain, when we experience disappointment, when we experience delays and unfulfilled promises, we need to learn as mature Christians how to push through that and move on like the rest of chapter 11. Because most people only read the first part. They don't read the last part. And in this church, I want to encourage you to read the Bible in context, always. So here's my point. Learning to live by faith involves pain. You can't learn to live by faith if you're always living by your feelings. And this is something else I need to just reset, recalibrate your heads from the scripture. Faith does not promise a perfect, easy life because this is earth. It is not heaven. That's what the scriptures. Remember Jesus said, and many times I've said this in church, well, this is Jesus speaking, the creator. Whilst you are on earth, you will have trouble. But, this is the part I like, be of good cheer. Don't get all down about that. Sure, you can have trouble, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world and this is just temporary. Don't get blown out by this. Don't throw your toys out the cot. Hebrews 11 talks about the people who live by faith but also went through tough times and huge difficulties. Let's pick this up, a bit more detail. 
and what Josh did. But others, Hebrews 11.35, but others, after talking about that beautiful uh, portrait of the Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, all the heroes that we know of, but others, now he's going, now he's flipping, this is the inflection point, but others who were men and women of faith were tortured. Did you hear that? They were tortured. Preferring, in other words, wanting to die, preferring to die and turn uh, uh, rather than turn from God and be free. So they were offered the old choice. Well, turn, turn away from God and you won't have to die. But they didn't. They preferred to turn away from rejecting God and be free from this earth. They placed their hope. How could they do that? Because they placed their hope in the resurrection, it says, to a better life than this. Did you know, and I checked these facts with credible sources, multiple triangulation to make sure these facts are correct. Over 80,000 people died for their faith, Christian faith, last year. We are the most persecuted group on the planet now, and predictions are it'll be going north. 80,000 people died for their faith last year simply because they were Christians. Another 215 million faced intimidation imprisonment and even death for the faith in Jesus Christ across the globe. These people were going through torture and problems and difficulties. By the way, if you want to read a little bit more about that, go to Open Doors. They keep a track of all these stats. And uh, Gordon Conwell Seminary, University. Some of these people, not the heroes, the, the other, the, well these are heroes too, but these are heroes who had difficult times. Some were mocked you being mocked at work, at university, even by your own family. You're an idiot for believing that. It's just a bunch of rubbish. Others had their backs were cut open with whips. That's because they were standing firm on what they believed because of the resurrection, not because of some emotional trip. Others were chained in dungeons. These were people of faith. That the Bible records... That we may watch, look, learn, and be encouraged by their faith. Some died by stoning. Paul had his fair share of that, remember? Some were sawn in half. That's pretty gross. They were having a tough day. My toughest day doesn't even compare. Others were killed by the sword. Some went in, uh, about in skins and sheep and, uh, of goats and sheep and goats, hungry and oppressed and mistreated. In other words, they weren't too flash on it. You know, they didn't have many clothes and they were pretty destitute. And the Bible says they were too good for this world. They wandered, no fixed abode, over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Why were they doing that? Because they've been hunted like animals. That's the truth. That's reality. That's a fact. These people, the scriptures record as heroes of the faith. All of these people that we have mentioned, all of them, Received God's approval. See, they were doing the right thing because of their faith. Yet, none of them received all that God had promised. Have you read that scripture lately? For God had far better things for them in mind, for us, that would also benefit them. For they can't receive the prize at the end of the race until we finish the race. Now, to endure this journey... 
amidst the triumphs that we have and the tragedies, our faith must overshadow our feelings. Feelings are fickle. God's promises and God is faithful. Now this passage teaches three very quick key truths and I'll drill on the rest of the time on the other six things I want to share with you. Number one is faith does not spare us from all pain. Anybody that tells you likewise is presenting a false gospel. Faith does not spare us from all pain. Jesus said that. But somehow, it's, I've met many person who claim to be a Christian who is deluded about this. They were, they were almost out of touch with reality. Psychotic is a bit extreme. <laughs> You've heard of charismatics. I call these people charismaniacs. They take everything to the nth degree. That's not what the scriptures show. Faith does not spare us from all pain because you can be doing the right thing and you can be in pain. What I'm trying to say is sometimes you will suffer for doing the right thing. It will feel painful doing the right thing. So don't be surprised by that. Number two, some of God's promises will be fulfilled in eternity. Some of God's promises will be filled in eternity. Fulfilled. Not everything happens exactly the way that God wants it on this earth right now, in this period of time, which is very brief. And the third thing I want to just focus on here is that we are runners in this historical relay race. It's a historical relay race. They can't receive the prize until we finish the race, the scriptures say there. You see, we're part of a a relay, part of a much bigger race, and God is building a family for eternity. And the generations before us back there have run very well. And they've passed the baton onto us. And now we're running our dash. Ian Buckley, 1961 dash. And one day that'll be closed. And that's my dash. And I'm trying to hand on the baton. You are racing, you are racing with your dash. And by the way, how you use your free will, your free will will determine the significance of your dash. Generations before have run well, but they will not get their prize until we've all finished. For example, if you're running a 400 meters and you're the third runner, and after you run that third runner, you pass the baton on for the last going guy going to the last 100 meters straight, He's not just going to walk to the side and say, where's my prize? No, no, you've got to wait till the end of the race, till everybody gets the prize, the whole team. Now we're going to get to some practical instruction in life. Now I've laid the background of what was going on there, set the clear historical perspective. Now, he says, therefore, and by the way, every time you see a therefore, you should look to see what it's therefore. Go back. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses for the life of faith, let us, number one, strip off every weight that slows us down. Hmm, we'll come back to that. Two, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance the race, that sense of struggle. I don't know about you, I've never ever swum a race that I didn't feel a sense of strain and exhaustion at the end of it. If I didn't feel that, I wasn't pushing hard enough. Normally when I get out of the water, especially when I used to do 400 free, uh, 400 um, butterfly, at the end of my chest will be heaving. 
heaving to get more air into my lungs. You need to feel that there. Let us run with endurance the race. There's a sense of struggle or fight. And I'd look under the water and see some other turkey over there and I'd put more gas on. There's a sense of struggle and fight in this. That God has set before us. See, the Christian life is not a game of hopscotch. No. That's false thinking. Nor is it a short sprint. It's a hard, exhausting marathon. So don't be surprised. Now, if you hear words like this coming out of your mouth, I'm exhausted. I am burnt out. My first question to you, if you ever came to me to say this, are you taking your Sabbath because it's in the top ten? The Christian life is exhausting. It is hard and it is demanding, but that's why God says on the seventh day, you take a break. Take a break and refresh and replenish and refocus on God. Otherwise, you will be tapped out at a gas. You can't keep going. That's why he says top ten, keep at it. So we do, how do we do this? How do we run the race with endurance, with a sense of struggle, with the race that God has set before us? How do we do it? We do it, look, it says here, we do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus. On whom our faith depends from start to finish. Again, he's got the race analogy, the marathon in mind. He, hang on, and then he's saying, well, notice this. He, Jesus, was willing to die a shameful death on the cross. Because, why, why, why? Because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. See, he was looking to the end of the race. Not too pleasant in the middle of the race. I've been in some races. I honestly, as a grown man, want to just jump on the grass and scream, I'm having a heart attack, so somebody will pick me up. <laughs> it was hard. I just wanted some relief from the pain. You may know what that's like, Marty. It hurts. Now he's seated in the place of highest honor besides God's throne in heaven. Think about all he endured. When sinful people did such terrible things to him, pull his beard, spit on him, punch him, so that you don't grow weary and give up. That's the danger. He said, look, when when you get like that, get your eyes back on Jesus and what he did and how he endured. Draw some strength from that. After all, this guy's this guy's a, a piece of work. He says, after all, you've not given your lives in your struggle against sin. And what he means is this world. Right. Now we've laid the basic background. I'm going to wrap this up with six key applications. Every one of these things you can do as a result of this message. Because the Bible says it's not those who hear, it's those who do something with the word of God. So if you've got your notes on you, I'd encourage you to get them. And by the way, those of you coming to 101 this afternoon, you get a free one of these where you can put your notes in. So that'll be great. So I hope to see you guys at 101. Here it is. Six powerful keys for not quitting when you feel like you want to give up. Six of them. Number one. Firstly, I want you to remember that heaven is watching me. Remember that. Therefore, Why should I do this? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, 
to the life of faith. Do you realize that your faith has an audience apart from God? I sometimes think about that. I think about those who have gone ahead of me who are precious to me in the faith. My mum. The Bible says in Job 31.4, you may want to write this down, it's not in your outline, he sees everything I do and every step I take. Job 31.4 says that. He sees everything I do. If you think you've got it tough, if you think you've got it hard, think about people like Moses, who led a group of people out of slavery into a foreign country, studying a new nation who were a bunch of moaners and grumblers and complainers. That would be really discouraging. I mean, you think you've got problems in your family when people are moaning and grumbling about doing the dishes or something. <laughs> Imagine what he felt like. Number two, this is a really important one. Actually, I won't go there first. The Bible says, don't, um, because these people are watching from here, people may be criticizing you around here, but people in heaven are cheering you on. Number two, eliminate what does not matter. Eliminate what does not matter. If you want to make it to the end of the race, you know, when, when you get to, if you're doing a triathlon, of course, people show up in their tracksuits and everything else. The first thing they do, they're going to swim. So what do they do? Jump into the tracksuits? No. Off come all the clothes, apart from their togs, right? Eliminate. Get rid of everything that's going to hinder you in this race. Simplify your life. Some of you, as a pastor, I'm concerned because your lives are way too complex. Way too complex. You're too busy. Don't let your life get so cluttered up with either activities or stuff or activities to get stuff that eventually you're going to get rid of. If you have a battery and you put one light on there, it'll go for a while. You add 15 more lights on there and it'll eventually drain the battery. And my point to you is if you're burning the candles at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. Okay, So you don't burn the candle too hard. Too much is going on in your life is going to drain you. Have a hard look at your calendar. The Bible says here, 12.1, let us strip off. That's get it off. Get that gear off. Toss it to one side. Strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. Now, note two things there that hold you back. Sins and weights. Wait to anything that slows you down. You know what? It could be a good thing. What's wrong with that tracksuit? Nothing wrong with a tracksuit. It's just in the wrong, wrong place when you're swimming. It can be a good thing. It could be a relationship could slow you down. Nothing wrong with a relationship, but it could drag you down. It could be a job that's consuming way too much of your time. Or yeah, sport that's sucking a lot of your time. No time left for God's priorities. The question is, okay, I've got all these activities, but God's priorities, how much time slice do they get? Or is anything else overruling and taking over that time of mine? These things may not in and of themselves be necessarily wrong, but to grow, you need to learn to say no to some good things. And be, in the right sense of the word, aggressive about that. If you want the life, your, your life to count for God, you've got to learn how to get control of your time. I have a little app on my phone. 
And every time, I've tried all sorts of things, writing things down over the years. I've had a fair use of practice at this. And uh, I finally found an app which seems to work for me, which I can just t- touch it, and it just keeps a track of where all of my time's going. Another activity starts to t- tap it again. Another one, tap, and it categorizes it for me. So at the end of the day, I can see where my time is actually gone. For me, it's useful. And as your pastor, again, I am concerned that you can't keep adding things to your schedule. You need to take some things off. So it says that let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders us, uh, hinders our progress. Sin will slow you down. Sin. Here's the first thing that will. Holding a grudge. Holding a grudge will be like driving around with a brake on, your handbrake on. Harboring anger and resentment in your heart will slow you down. Unconfessed sin will slow you down. By the way, one definition of sin from the scriptures is knowing what to do and then not doing it. You say, where does the Bible say that, Pastor Ian? Well, if you take a look in your Bibles at James chapter 4, verse 17, that's exactly what it says. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, it is sin. So if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's sin. The, yeah. That's going to slow you down. I've got to remember, friends, that heaven is watching me and I'm surrounded. And my life is being watched by witnesses. Two, I've got to eliminate things that hold me back. And then third, if I'm going to make it to the finish line, which is my absolute desire, and Jesus wants you to make it well to the end, as I need to run God's race for me, not other people's. Not others' races. So I need to run God's race for me, not another's race. See, the Bible says here, let us run with endurance the race that God set before us. Not the race that maybe your mother set for you, or your father, or your sister, or your peers, or culture, or even I've set, because it may be unrealistic. I am called to run the race that God has set before me. So when God created you, he had a plan in mind for you. And you can miss it. How? By doing your own thing or just drifting in neutral. If you're in a boat and your motor stops, you're going to go with the rest of the tide. Let me put it another way. Rabbits are not meant to fly. And ducks are not meant to run very fast. Look at the way that God has individually shaped you because God gives you enough strength and enough time to run his race for your life because he designed you that way with certain spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, and experiences. So I'm going to run the race that God has for me, not what others will try and impose upon me. Otherwise, I'm going to get discouraged and I'm going to be tempted to give up. Fourth, very important, I must focus on Jesus, not my circumstances. Think about those heroes of faith back at the beginning of Hebrews 11. How do we run with endurance? Verse 2a, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus on whom our faith depends from start to finish. So when you feel like, well, I'm going through a tough time now, I, 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 I just want to throw in the towel. This seems like it's unendurable right now. 
and you start to think words like, I don't think I can handle this. It's then that you need to focus on Jesus, not the circumstances. Not the situation, but the saviour. Corrie ten Boom and the sister went in Auschwitz during the World War II. Hi, uh, yeah, during the World War II. And um, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place, it's called. And she once said this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. <laughs> but if you look to Christ, you'll be at rest. I love that. So to endure the endurable, I must keep my eyes on Jesus. Jonah, I love what Jonah says. He, he nails this. In Jonah 2.7, in the great fish. By the way, it's not a whale. It says a great fish. When I had lost all hope, you ever been like that? You lost all hope? I once again turned my thoughts to the Lord. This is this wopster prophet who decided he was going to use his free will for the wrong direction. So God arranged him to toss him off the ship, remember? And he gets to the bottom, literally. When I lost all hope, I once again turned my thoughts to the Lord. Now the first step in overcoming discouragement and getting through the battle is to minimize the pain and maximize the gain. Minimize the pain and maximize the gain. Minimize the pain of doing the right thing and maximize the gain. Now, yes, there is pain. That's life. There's pain in getting in shape. That's Mikey. <laughs> He's been in the gym this week. <laughs> There's pain in getting into spiritual shape. It takes discipline. It takes pain in getting your finances in order. You know why? Because you're going to make some hard decisions. And by the way, for some of you in this room, some of your hard decisions, uh, some of your impossible situations are just hard decisions waiting to be made. You need to make a decision. Getting your finances in control and getting out of debt can be painful because you're battling about priorities. In fact, there's pain in anything that matters in life. But you look at the long term, you look at the reward. Jesus did this, verse 2b. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy that he knew would be his afterwards. So, uh-oh, got to go through this. Lord, if there's any way, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, your will be done. And he goes through because of the joy that was to be his afterwards. Notice he's looking past the short-term pain to the joy that will be his afterwards. Now, he's seated, the Bible says, in the place of highest honor beside God in the throne of heaven. So he endured a shameful death on the cross. For our salvation. You too have got to look past a short term pain. In anything you want to change in your life. To make it through that difficult period. When you want to give up. Because all of us have been there. Maybe you want to give up on a marriage right now. Maybe you want to give up on a God given dream. That he's put within your heart. But it's just too hard. You've got to push through that by minimizing the pain and maximizing the eventual payoff. So you play it through the hard part, you pray it up, and you play up the benefit of doing the right thing and staying with that marriage. Get some counseling, even if your other spouse won't or your other partner won't. Hang through that tough patch with your teenager who's driving you nuts. See, it's always more rewarding to resolve a relationship 
and repair a relationship than it is to replace it. Because let me tell you, even if you replace it, there's a bunch more issues. In fact, more than you ever had before. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. But at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's the thought that the Lord wants to lay on our hearts. There's one other thing you do that will help you hold on. Remember what Jesus did for me. When you're going through a tough time, remember the tough times Jesus went through. Think about what he did on your behalf and the suffering that he went through. The attacks, the criticism, the abuse, the meanness, the torture, the embarrassment. Hebrews 12:3. Think about all that he endured when you're trying to endure. When sinful people did such terrible things to him, so that you do not become weary and give up. That's the aim. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. So let me sum up what I'm trying to teach you today. The problems you're going through. The tests, they are tests. See, it's easy to trust God when things are going great. Everything is ticking along nice. The real test of faith starts when life stinks. When you have no emotion, you're just numb. And you're just hanging on. And you don't feel close to God. That's when the real state of your faith shows up. So the question is, when you're in that situation, will you trust God? Will you do the right thing even though you don't feel like doing the right thing? Even though it doesn't make sense naturally. Will you commit to endure to the finishing line? Will you finish well? Will you stop in the middle of the race and just walk over to the sideline and drop out? Many have chosen that. My question for you is this. This is a bit more personal. What have you started that you need to finish? What commitments have you made to God? And only you know those. What have you said to God that you need to complete? Because Christian maturity is about living by our commitments, not by our moods or our feelings, or our temporary lack of energy. Maybe for you, you've committed to get baptized, but you've never done that by immersion. Well, it will be our pleasure to baptize you. Or maybe you intended to lead or start a small group. Or God calls you to serve in his church, to use the gifts that he gave you for his benefit. Or maybe to start a new ministry or to serve in an existing one. Or maybe for you today, it may be to attend class 101. Or follow through on some offering that you committed to between you and God, and you've just never done it. If you're going to do, you should do it very quickly, because today is the end of March, by the way. 
for tax deductions. Your receipts will be out there in a few weeks. What do you need to finish? Whatever it is that God has put on your heart. Maybe he said to you, get out of debt. Because it's handcuffing you for what I want to do in your life. And you tried to, but you kind of like just got discouraged. Or maybe for you it's having a consistent quiet time. They say, God, I, I should be doing this. I should have my act together, but I'm not. Or maybe it's with your kids. Doing a quiet time with your kids or your grandkids. Teach them intentionally God's ways. Remember whatever it is that you clearly felt God called you to do. Hebrews 10.35, last verse. Don't throw it all away now. You are sure of yourselves then. It's still a sure thing, but you need to stick it out. Stay with God's plan so it will be there for the promised completion. We're going to bow our heads very shortly. And I want, to, I want you to talk to God. And I want you to ask God, God, what do you want me to complete that I did start my sense to you? Talk to me about them. Just ask him there. What do I need to complete that I started? What have I had the intention to do, but I haven't done yet? So with your heads bowed, let's pray. Father, you know us. You made us. You know how easy it is for us to get discouraged and you know our hearts. You know how easy it is when we get times of toughness and we're pushed for time and resources. We get distracted and we, we get despairing. And I pray, Lord, that you would take these words today from your word and you'd apply them to our hearts. So friends, why don't you pray this with me in your heart? Would you say, Lord, help me to remember that heaven is watching it's watching me. And that there's a crowd of witnesses watching my life who have been through it before me, who've run the race, and they made it to the finish line. And I want to make it to the finish line. Father, help me by your Spirit to eliminate whatever doesn't matter in my life, to let go of the weights that slow me down and the sins that hold me back. I want to run the race that you have for me, not other people's races. Because I want to be what you made me to be. Holy Spirit, help me to not care so much about the approval of other people, but help me to focus on you, Jesus, not my problems or my circumstances, certainly not the difficulty. Help me to minimize the pain and maximize the rewards. And to look past the cross and see the joy on the other side. And most of all today, Jesus, I want to remember what you did for me on that cross. You forgave my sin. You gave me a purpose for living. And Lord, through what you've done, I have a home in heaven. I would not be alive without you. My heart would not even beat. I wouldn't be saved without you. I wouldn't be headed for heaven without the pain that you went through on my behalf. And I want to thank you for that today. Friends, today, if some of you have never asked Jesus Christ into your life, I want to give you that opportunity 
Just say in your heart, Jesus, come into my life right now. Forgive me for my sin. I want to follow you and trust you the rest of my life. I want to learn to love you from this day forward. I pray this in your amazingly powerful name. Amen.